a lot of what we focus on is educating people about the big benefits of real estate as an investment class versus stocks, bonds, mutual funds, crypto, pretty much everything else that they're looking at and failing at. We show them how real estate is a much better opportunity. We show them about the different profit centers in a real estate deal. You focus on you know what's in it for them, and you focus on the fact that you're the expert, you're the guys, you're the boots on the ground, you're the one that's going to be doing all the work. They get to come along for the ride and share in the profits without having to get their hands dirty. So for me, it's about educating people and creating curiosity, getting them to say, hey, Tyler, I'm interested in that real estate thing you're doing. Tell me more. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Dave Dubow today. Today, you're going to learn about the difference between attracting and chasing opportunities. As an investor, there's a massive difference and there are strategies that you can employ to create that opportunity. You're also going to learn about Dave's backstory and some of the things that he's done that are really whatever it takes to succeed. And the way that he's evolved over the years is such a phenomenal clue for us as real estate investors, as entrepreneurs, because you know what? There are no guarantees, but there's a guarantee of growth if we find that opportunity to engage in that growth. And uh, wow, today's episode is so, so good. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. Today, we are absolutely raising the bar. I want to invite you before we dive in to pay the fee. All that means is to share this episode, pay it forward. If you've already done that in the past, thank you again. Today's fee is just to pay it forward. And all you have to do is just grab that link and share it with someone else in your network and tell them about the podcast. And uh, again, it's just like any other business. We grow by referral and it's a pretty organic growth. And everybody that uh, is involved here and, and listening, I just thank you so much. I thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this. And I'm here to add massive value to you today. So I just appreciate you so much. I also want to invite you, if you have not done so already, to give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcasts on wherever it is that you listen to podcasts or watch podcasts, by the way. We are on YouTube, so you can check out any of these podcasts uh, there. You can also listen on any podcast platform, but it is very important to us that you give us a rating and review, so please go ahead and do that uh, real quick, and then we'll dive in and while we dive in, let me introduce you to Dave Dubow, who is a real estate entrepreneur, author, and podcast host. He's a creator of the Money Partner Formula, and he works with new capital raisers and helps them attract investors and their money without being desperate or high pressure. He began his real estate investing career in 2003, doing 18 deals in 18 months. And nowadays he invests passively in multifamily properties. When it comes to working with investors, Dave has seen a lot personally, as well as through his work with other real estate entrepreneurs. He's been on both sides of the good, the bad and the ugly of working with investors and their capital. You'll learn about that today. And I think there's a lot to be learned by that, that story. You don't have to learn this lesson the hard way. You can actually 
draft off of Dave's experience from this, and you're going to find a tremendous amount of value in that. You can also find more about Dave and his money partner formula by checking out his new podcast, the How to Raise Capital 101 Show at RaiseCapital101Show.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this outstanding discussion with Dave Dubo. Dave Dubo, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Big Tyler, I am fantastic and even better now that it's you and I having this chat. I know, man. It was I was really looking forward to this. And I was telling you right before we started recording, it's been over a year since you and I connected last, which is crazy. I mean, time absolutely flies. But I really got a lot of pleasure out of getting to know you last summer. You and I were working on a project together, but I've really gotten even more excited about this conversation as I've dug into you and, and your past and sort of what you've been up to. So I'm excited to introduce you to Elevate Nation today. You dug into my past and you still want to have this conversation. That's pretty good. There That's we go. right. You know, I was going to ask you, about crime times. Are you familiar with this? And uh, you were on the cover. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I've dug into your past, but really surface level. So we're going to go deeper right. today. So we're going to ask you to give us all your deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, but as all we right, kind of dig into that, man, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory, kind of where did Dave Dubow come from? Well, I grew up in the sticks in Northern British Columbia, Canada, very small town at that time of about six, 700 people and uh, went to school in the big city of Vancouver, British Columbia, graduated with a basically useless and what I call a BA, a basically asinine degree in psychology, way, way, way back in 1990. And at that time, the economy was going through a little bit of a hiccup. And surprise, surprise, nobody was throwing me amazing job offers with my useless degree in psychology and a like a 2.1 grade point average out of four. So surprise, nobody was, nobody was offering me jobs. So I thought, what the heck, I'll go see a little bit of the world. So I started traveling and I ended up living for about a year in Mexico, having some fun doing stuff there, traveling for about uh, two years throughout Mexico and Central America. And then I settled down in a little country called Costa Rica and uh, fell in love with that place, fell in love with a certain person in that place and decided, hey, you know, at that point, I was about 23, 24 years old. Why don't I plant my flag, so to speak, and start a business here? Now, you got to remember, Tyler, I was um, really clueless. I had no business background and no business being in business, quite frankly. <laughs> what the heck? I, I had a thousand bucks left to my name. And so I ended up starting a language training company, very quickly realized that I didn't have the faintest clue about running a business or marketing a business or anything like that. So I became self-educated about marketing very, very quickly. Managed to grow that little language training company from the bottom of the heap to the top three in a very crowded competitive market in about two and a half years, learning about direct response marketing. So that's kind of where I first got into business and started actually dabbling in real estate a little bit in Costa Rica. Did a couple of what I guess we would call pre-foreclosure deals in the late 90s, early 2000s before moving back to Canada with my uh, Costa Rican family kicking and screaming all the way to the great white north. So moved back in 2003, and everybody goes, Dave, why would you do that? You're living this, this tropical paradise lifestyle, the thing that everybody wants to retire to. You had it made. You know, life was pretty good. Tyler, I know you're, you're familiar with Latin America. So you can live a lot better on a lot less down there than you can here. So, I mean, we had, you know, we lived in a nice home and a kind of a gated community with guards and living maids and gardeners and all this kind of stuff that evaporated as soon as we moved back to Canada. So uh, the reason we moved back was really our kids. So at, at that time, our kids were getting towards uh, school age. 
And being the pasty-faced white guy that I am, uh, whether you have money or not in Latin America, everybody thinks that you do. So there's a bit of a target on your back as well as that of your family. And there's a, uh, you know, not a huge risk, but there is a risk that you or somebody you love could get snatched, kidnapped, held for ransom, that sort of thing. Actually, I know several people that happened too. So doesn't happen where I live in, in Canada. So we just thought this would be a much better place to uh, to raise our kids. Well, thank you for that backstory. And by the way, Pura Vida, because uh, to your point, man, Costa Rica is such a beautiful place. Anybody that gets an opportunity to visit, I think will walk away saying, man, what an amazing energetic type of, of vibe that you can get by visiting that type of place. And obviously very beautiful. And to your point, there is something to be said about that type of adventure that you kind of went on from graduating from college with this, what you call, a, you know, a bit of a useless degree at that time, then going through that journey. One thing I wanted to dig into. And I think it's really interesting because, um, and you talked about self-education, self-educating yourself, uh, figuring out how to run that business, figuring out how to market that business. One of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is that most people who have done anything worth, you know, looking at or, or, or worth being proud of at some point, they didn't know what they were doing and they had to figure it out. And that self-education piece is a critical piece. Even if you have formal education and maybe you had a very valuable degree or maybe set of several valuable degrees, it's still comes down to self-education. And so could you talk a little bit about what that process actually looked like? Because I know that there's got to be similarities in terms of how investors are figuring out how to go to the next level, how they're learning how to grow their portfolio, grow their team, find the next deal, make the right decisions. Talk to me a little bit about that self-education experience. Yeah, it, it was a real eye-opener for me, Tyler, because I was never a big fan of school. I was never particularly great at it. And that's because most of the courses I took, I had to take, I didn't want to take, I wasn't particularly interested in those topics. So then plunk yourself into something that is kind of make it or break it, <laughs> right? And that you are interested in, then you've, you've got that really, uh, that real motivation about, and it's amazing how fast you can learn and how much of a, a good student you become if it's something that's practical for you. It reminds me of learning Spanish, actually. I took a crack at learning Spanish in university. And I sucked at it. I almost failed it. Fast forward a, a couple of years, I'm in Mexico. I meet a cute little Mexican girl who speaks no English, and I spoke no Spanish. And trying to communicate with a dictionary was a real pain in the butt. So that was my motivation. My meeting girls was my initial motivation for learning Spanish. And I learned the language in about three months and became fluent in it. Uh, very, very quickly with the right carrot, so to speak, right? Same idea with the business side of things. And as you're alluding to with the, the real estate side of things, when you when you understand what you're trying to accomplish and you understand that somebody else has already done that and you can learn from them. In my case, at the beginning, it was via books. So I went to the local English language bookstore, found whatever I could on marketing. And then in the back of those books, there's at that time, this is before the internet was really much of a thing. There were, were options for send away for more information. So it was actually mail order type stuff. So imagine doing this from Latin America before the internet was really going and sending away for home study courses and getting cassettes and all this kind of stuff. That's how I got started. And uh, I know you're a huge fan of that. And our, our mutual friend, Trevor, big, big influence there. So it's, it's all about finding the people who know what you want to learn and then figuring out how to learn from them, whether that's books, podcasts, 
programs, coaching, mentoring, whatever it is, whatever you can afford, get going right away. So you talk about the motivation. The motivation was to learn Spanish because you had a crush. And also there was practicality behind it because you were able to then communicate with this crush. And yeah. you turn that into a business as well. Like the language training, like that, that, that spawned. Well, I was teaching people English. I wasn't trying to teach them Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would imagine that that experience of learning Spanish then caused you to think about, well, how does this pathway create some sort of a lifestyle for me? And then, well, wait a minute, I can add value you to others through teaching them. Now that I've learned Spanish, I can teach people who speak Spanish English. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was part of the whole process. Uh, actually, the way it started was the only job I could really get in Latin America when I when I was bouncing around down there was teaching English. So that's, that's how I got my foot in the door. And, and then like many people realized that the the people that I was working for were kind of doofuses, not doing very much. And they were reaping the vast majority of the rewards from our efforts. We said, well, I think we can do a better job. Why don't we try doing what they're doing? And, and that's how we got started. Interesting. And so there's obviously tremendous practicality behind what you were able to do in terms of building that business and then learning the marketing, learning the opportunity to really actually grow this business, to find customers, to create demand or to really facilitate that interaction between a customer and your business. I mean, talk to me about the early days of learning that and how did you figure that out? Because, you know, I would imagine you're almost like, well, wait a minute, I got a thousand dollars to my name. Uh, I'm starting this business and I don't really have a lot of time. There's not a lot of runway here unless we get this thing going. Yeah, well, my God, it, it's so primitive. It's funny and embarrassing at the same time, Tyler. So at that time in Costa Rica, it was cell phones didn't exist yet. And it was very, very difficult to even get to regular landlines. So the only communication I really had was a beeper. I don't even know if you remember what beepers are. Had a beeper. So I was I was living with my girlfriend at the time and we had a crappy little apartment above a public payphone. So here's how my marketing started. And this is before I even took any training or courses. I figured, hey, we got to get the word out. So I remember staying up all night with the Yellow Pages, the local area, creating a list of companies I thought would be a good idea for them to have English training courses, creating this, this database, I think, of 50 or maybe it might have got up to 75 companies and wrote out by hand all of their addresses, didn't have a computer, didn't have anything. And then I had a business partner at the time who spoke Spanish very, very well. So then I wrote a sales letter by hand, got him to translate it, type it up on an old type manual typewriter, which I then got on the bus, took to the local university and got somebody to write that out and put in some some clip art because I thought that would look fancy, some clip art in a Word document and then printed out 50 copies of this thing. And then the next night, writing out by hand, addresses on envelopes, licking stamps, putting in all of these uh, these letters, and then sending them out in the mail. And I can remember I was such a ditz. I was, I was so clueless. I figured, oh my God, the phone is going to ring off the hook. So again, you got to remember, I didn't have a phone. So the only way people could get a hold of me was to call this pager, leave a voicemail. I would get paged. I would go listen to the voicemail and then call the person back. That's how primitive this was in those days. And I remember three days go by and I'm thinking, okay, they, they should be landing. No beeps, no calls. Four days, five days, six days. And well, okay, it's Costa Rica. The mail system is probably not that good. Finally, like on the sixth or seventh day, I got a beep, rushed down to the phone downstairs, called my voicemail and it was a hang up. Oh my God. Two days later, got another beep. And amazingly, somebody left a message. It was from a small private bank. 
my partner and I, they, they said, so we called them and they, yeah, we'd love to hear what you guys are doing. And we, we showed up there in our very best jeans and our cleanest shirts because we didn't have suits or anything at the time. Went up there. We, we're doing our little spiel. Okay. What kind of experience do you guys have? And we've both been teaching for another company for a while. Okay. And how many clients do you have right now? Uh, well, if you guys hire us, we'll have one. And somehow they they gave us a chance and we got started with them. But I, then I realized that I didn't have the faintest clue about anything. And that's when I got really motivated to get a much better at the marketing side of things. Man, well, again, you have to start somewhere. And I think everybody can remember a time or perhaps are going through that time themselves, you know, in, in their own business where it's like, wow, I got to figure it out. And, and some of the things that it makes me think about is when your back is against the wall and you have no other option but success, it's pretty cool the resourcefulness that you can find. And this mentality of, hey, whatever it takes, there's no other option but, you know, figuring this out. And, and you know, the just the primitive nature of the direct response marketing that you were employing at the time obviously has now grown into a very sophisticated approach. And I know we're going to talk about that today. But what advice would you give yourself then from now about direct response marketing? Is there anything? Oh, uh, yeah, well, there's just about, so thousand, much, about a thousand it, things. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, at the end of the day, I wouldn't change that experience because that that was formative. That was one of those things that was the Eureka light bulb moment. And just the, I mean, just the pain in the butt of that entire process, staying up all night, creating that list and stuffing envelopes and writing, all of that was wonderful uh, for lots of things that I, I, I did in the future. And it's just, a, like you say, it's a matter of being willing to do whatever it takes. And it's kind of interesting, Tyler, because I know you're a big mindset guy. It was actually a negative motivator that kept me going because I, I probably left my own devices, would have quit many times over if I didn't have a negative motivator. And the negative motivator I had was be prior to this experience in Costa Rica, I had run out of money. So I had gone back to Canada to work for a few months to save up, to bank some, some coin to make a go of it in Costa Rica. And I was staying with my father and bless his soul, he heard this harebrained idea from his 23-year-old son that I wanted to go start a business in Costa Rica. And that time, I didn't even really know what kind of business. I just knew I wanted to do something. And he told me, Dave, I love you, man, but I know you. You're my son, and you don't have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Got friends who are entrepreneurs. I see what they have to do, the drive, the the passion, the the killer instinct they've got. I don't see that in you, son. I love you dearly, but I think you should go back to school and become a teacher and get a good union job because that's that's all he knew. And Tyler, that ticked me off so much that just burned a hole in my gut. And I just vowed to myself I was going to prove him wrong. And now to his credit, five years later, whenever the next time was that, that I came back to Canada, we, we saw each other and I was making a go of it. He said, hey, you know what? I remember what I told you there and I take it back. I was wrong. I apologize. So Good for him. But what a powerful motivator. I mean, I know in my own experience, when I left corporate, I remember a handful of people saying, hey, you'll be back. You know, and I don't think people really mean negative things by that, but perhaps their own, they're projecting their limiting beliefs to us by saying that maybe he didn't believe that he had what it took to be an entrepreneur. Well, yeah, he, he, he'd taken a crack at uh, doing it, being his own boss a few times. It hadn't worked out for him. So he was, a, he was a union guy. My mom was a teacher and she was a union person as well. A bit more entrepreneurial than my dad, actually. But that was the, the background that I kind of grew up in. I like that. And I almost think about like, it's like you probably had this chip on your shoulder and you kept thinking about that. Like, I am going to prove him wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. So when the when the going got tough, 
and I was sniveling and, and wanting to quit, that's what always came to my mind. I did not want to prove my dad right. I wanted to prove him wrong. I love that. It makes me think of Michael Jordan too, because he almost made these things up. I remember watching the the Last Dance documentary and it was Michael Jordan was playing in some, you know, no no importance kind of regular season game. And he made up this story in his mind that the other team said that he was just, and I don't even remember the details of it, but it was just, you know, you're not the best player on the floor. And nobody even said that. He just made this thing up and he went out there and had this unbelievable performance. So there's something to be said about leveraging that type of emotion. What do you say about that? Well, it worked for me, that's for sure. And that was the burning driving force behind a lot of my actions for a long time. Sometimes negative things can turn out to be positive. Certainly. And we have to understand that it, it, it is about leveraging those things. It's not about, you know, it's not about in believing that, you know, because at the end of the day, you could have believed that and said, well, okay, well, if my dad says that, then I guess that's true, right? So we all have a choice. And at any moment, we're making a choice and we're deciding where we're taking our next action. So as you were proceeding forward, obviously, you had this very, very impactful experience building your first business and you made the decision to go back to Canada. Talk to me about in 2003, you got really, you got into real estate, right? And, and from what I understand, 18 deals in 18 months. Talk to me about that. It was another almost starting from scratch kind of experience, Tyler, because we decided to, to move to Canada and I hadn't been able to sell my business in Costa Rica. So by the time we packed up and moved everything, I didn't have a heck of a lot of money. And I had been self-employed for so long, I was pretty much unemployable. I still had my basically useless degree in psychology. So I was, you know, didn't have any huge skill sets that people were going to be hiring me for, except for maybe McDonald's, which wasn't going to cut it. And uh, we moved to a, a brand new city that I didn't have any contacts in, didn't have any family here. So I was starting over from scratch without very much money. And almost, even though I was Canadian, almost like a new immigrant because I didn't have any credit either. I've been gone so long. I didn't have bad credit. I had zero credit. So nobody's going to loan me any money either. So we were, went from living this lovely lifestyle in Latin America to renting a crappy little rental on the wrong side of the tracks, I realized later, and moving my persnickety, now ex-wife and, and our kids into that, into that home. So imagine going from live-in maids and, and all this kind of stuff to being broke and living in a, a crappy rental in a, in a foreign country, for, you know, for my wife, it was, it was a huge shock kind of thing, right? So there I was, what the heck am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? I have to start over again. I'm not going to start another language school in, in Canada. That's not what I, plus I was kind of done with that. So I saw one of those late night infomercials. You too can get rich in real estate with little or no money down. And it was by a guy that I'd kind of heard about through the marketing stuff I'd done. I was following a, a marketing guru named Dan Kennedy for a long time. And this was another Kennedy guy. So I'd heard about him. And then I saw the program. I said, okay, what the hell? I'll, I'll send away because he said, you can, you know, you don't need much money and you don't need credit. You can get in this. Perfect. That's what I got. So I sent away for this home, home study program. And again, I'm in Canada. This is an American guru guy from Florida. But I basically just said, what the heck, I'm going to figure out how to make this work here. And another situation, it's make it or break it. Like I, I was running out of money very, very quickly. So it, it was just a, a matter of taking massive action, massive imperfect action and just getting things done. And yeah, pretty soon I had my, my first little creative deal going. Now, again, 18 deals in 18 months sounds impressive, but compared to the kind of deals that you're looking at, Tyler, some of these were crappy little mobile homes and mobile home parks. And maybe I made a couple of grand on that one or broke even on another. And 
a few of them made 30, 40 grand kind of thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't like big money kind of deals. They were creative single family home type deals. Well, you were getting your reps and you were learning the business and you were seeing that it actually worked and, and you were also learning valuable lessons, but were these flips and wholesales or what type of deals were these? Well, these were things like, yeah, I did, I did some assignments. I did some lease option types deals. So sandwich lease type deals, did some take over title for a dollar type deals, you know, all kind of finding people that were in really tight positions and, and helping them get out of the property and getting somebody else into the property creatively and hopefully making a few bucks in the middle. So I'm guessing, and I want to hear your, your experience here, but I'm guessing you started to really leverage your experience in direct response marketing to find opportunities. Is that fair? Completely fair. Yeah. I, I, I did all of those deals without ever once using a realtor not that I have anything against realtors. There's just no way to pay them a commission and make a, make a buck on these kind of deals at the same time. So no realtors, no MLS. These are all off-market deals. And I actually wasn't even into cold calling FISBO. So we did all of it for sale by owner property sellers. So everything we did was outbound marketing to create curiosity, get people to call me instead of me chasing after them. So vehicle signage. I could remember I had a, a purple minivan, a little Dodge Caravan with I buy houses deckled all around this thing worked really, really well. My wife at the time hated it because there's a bear driver out of this thing. But I can remember getting three deals from that, the, the signage on the vehicle, bandit signs. At that time, the, the internet was kicking in. So doing some online type stuff, you know, direct mail, postcard mailings, all sorts of different things. And I live in a fairly small city. So I mean, city size at that time was about 80,000. So yeah, it, it worked really well. So the goal there was to just make it right in the very beginning. You're like, you see this late night inf infomercial and you're like, all right, even you, even I with no money can make some money in real estate. So you started to employ these strategies and these ideas. Obviously, I'm sure you learned the hard way. I'm sure you made mistakes in, in many ways. But from there, where did you take it? Because over from 2003 to 2005 ish, obviously, if you look back, we can all recognize what was going on in sort of the real estate market at the time. And obviously leading up to 2008, 2009, and really across, you know, North America, we had a tremendous crash. But talk to me about where you took things from there with your real estate investing practice. Yeah, I actually um, really got rolling pretty well and then stopped. So what happened, Tyler, was I connected with a guy up here in Canada who was kind of the Canadian version of Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. In fact, he was very closely associated with, with Kiyosaki. And this guy was doing cash flow game nights around the place. And he started to do seminars and stuff like that. And he came up with an idea called doorknob ads, or he swiped the idea from somebody else. And basically, actually, I'll show you one. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, here's a treat. We got a doorknob ad. So basically, it's it's like one of those do not disturb signs for from an old hotel thing on steroids with a gazillion coupons on it. And when I saw this thing, I thought, hey, this is the perfect way to get my I buy houses ad on the front door of every house in town and basically have other people pay for it. Right. So sell advertising for this and piggyback along and buy a whole bunch of houses. So that was my my idea. So uh, he was just starting this thing, starting to kind of franchise it. So I was one of the first guys that signed on with him. And he made it sound like it was a piece of cake. And it turned out, of like anything, it was not. It was a whole other nightmare in and of itself. But funny how things work. That kind of got us connected. And he was, he was uh, rocking and rolling with a seminar business. And my background in marketing 
I could see that there was room for improvement with what he was doing. So I just paid a bunch of money to become a, a licensee of this thing. And then around the same time, because I was a big follower of Dan Kennedy, I was really wanting to create my own membership program of some sort. So I was trying to figure out what I was going to create this newsletter CD of the month type thing about when I clued in, I said, well, hey, this guy has got a massive audience doing a lot of stuff around real estate. But when he leaves town, there's nothing, there's crickets, right? So why don't I try to join forces with this guy? He's got the audience. I'll do the work for creating this newsletter program and we can JV and share the profits. So I pitched him on that idea and he, he liked it. So we started doing that. And then I kept kind of, you know, saying, hey man, if I were you, I would do this differently. Or I would do this or, you know, the big idea I had for him was, you're going to the big markets, you're going to the big cities. Nobody at that time was going to the small cities. Why don't you try going to these smaller centers outside of the big cities? There's not going to be competition and you'll do really well. Shut up, shut up, shut up. I don't want to hear. But so I kept nagging him about this. And finally he said, okay, will you shut up if I give this a try and prove to you that it's not going to work? I said, sure. I said, okay, so let's go to where you live, Kamloops, which at that time, small city, about 80,000. He's usually going to Vancouver's and Toronto's and the bigger centers. So bottom line, Tyler, to, to make a long story, hopefully short, with one third of his normal marketing budget in a, in a population center, one tenth the size of the normal population centers, we marketed, we got over 650 people came out to the event that, that he put on here in a town the size of, with 80,000 people as, as the population. That was over double what he was getting out to his events in Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver and Edmonton, Calgary, those kind of places. So that he finally said, okay, I won't tell you to shut up anymore. In fact, why don't you come on board and, and be my director of marketing? So then I, I got really busy with that and stopped doing the, the creative type deals because I was, you know, hair back, just focusing on helping him to grow his company, which I did for about five years. So real quickly, what was the difference and what was the reason why those smaller cities were drawing so much more of a, an interest level? What are, what are your thoughts on that? We were lonely. You think so? No, not lonely, but I'm, I'm being facetious. None of the big seminar people were coming to the smaller centers at that time. As soon as we started doing it, then, yeah, everybody jumped on and they started coming to the smaller centers. So it was centers, just an untapped point, market. Completely untapped market. Got it. The other markets were maybe a bit more saturated, so to speak. Exactly. Got it. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com 
or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. I want to get back to marketing because there is a difference between and you say this all the time yourself, there's a difference between attracting and chasing deals. And I think a lot of folks, you know, and there's a difference between attracting and chasing deals, attracting and chasing capital opportunities, partners, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. That's why I think that this stuff is really important. I hope the listeners are reading between the lines of our conversation so far. Because yes, we're talking about your background, we're talking about your story. But what we're also doing is we're talking to an expert in marketing, someone who is self educated and someone who has really proven that you have the chops to deliver and to create demand and to facilitate and, and deliver value to people who understand that message. And when they become attracted to that message, take action on that. So I want to kind of fast forward a little bit. I do want to talk about your marketing approach and what that difference is between attracting and chasing. But when did you first learn about raising capital for real estate? Uh, when I fell flat on my face trying to do it, Tyler. Okay. Okay. So this was five years after or? Yeah, you'd think I'd be smarter at that point. But bottom line was I got back into real estate investing after about five years, doing a different strategy that actually involved coming up with down payments and buying stuff a little bit more traditionally. And like most people, by that, you know, I self-financed my first couple of deals, ran out of cash, ran out of credit. And of course, that's when the perfect deal landed in my lap. And I can remember I was doing a, it was a single family home strategy, a, what we call a tenant first lease option or rent own kind of a strategy. So we'd find a really good tenant buyer, go house shopping for them, buy them a house and, and lease option it to them for two years while we help them get qualified for financing to buy it from us. So chugging along with that and again, ran out of cash. So I had this deal lined up, it wasn't going to be huge, but I'd crunched the numbers. I needed to raise about $85,000 buy this property. It was going to create a really good return for my investor. I was going to make about a $40,000 profit over two years with this little single family home. Win-win. So I'd heard all the real estate gurus say, hey, you know what? Just find a good deal and the money will find you. Well, that sounded a little bit too woo-woo and the secret, you know, the universe will provide kind of thing, which is great. I mean, but you got to kind of help the universe along. So- I knew, hey, I'm, I'm going to have to do something. And, and I only had two weeks to do this, Tyler, right? I had two weeks to get the financing organized. So I'd also heard other people say, well, if you need to raise money quickly, pick up the phone and start calling people, start dialing for dollars, right? Cold calling people. So I tried that. I didn't have any background or experience in cold calling. So obviously I suck. And I re raised absolutely zero capital. I'd love to say I cranked out hundreds of calls. I didn't. I probably cranked out a dozen calls. And my fragile little feelings couldn't handle that much rejection. So I quit doing the calls. So I'd also heard other people say, hey, go out and uh, turn every conversation into a real estate conversation. Go schmooze and, and talk up your deal. So I did that. Went out to local B&I, Chamber of Commerce, Toastmasters, wherever, and talked to everybody, did my 30-second elevator pitch, and obviously raised zero capital. I mean, that's just dumb. 2020 hindsight, right? Then I put on my marketing hat and I thought, okay, well, this is such a good deal. If enough people see it, somebody's bound to jump on it. So I put together a list of a couple of hundred people that I thought could probably invest if they wanted to. And I put together a PDF outline of the deal. And I spammed that off to everybody cold. And I can remember this, Tyler. That was Wednesday night. I had to have the financing organized by Friday. Thursday, I got up and I saw there were a bunch of responses in my inbox. I thought, awesome. Finally, something's working. But then I went in and pretty much all the responses said, hey, Dave, dude, haven't heard from you in forever. And here you are, hit me up for 85 grand for a deal. 
take a hike, take a long walk off a short bridge, whatever, right? It was just, <laughs> and boom, uh, that deal imploded on me, which was embarrassing to because I live in a small town, right? So obviously ticked off the seller had tied up their property for two weeks, ticked off my realtor, their realtor. I had the tenant buyer had given notice where they were renting. They'd given me like 14 grand as a option fee kind of thing. So obviously all their money had to go back. Plus we had to scramble to make sure they could stay renting where they're at. So I had major, major egg on my face. And that's when I sat back and I said, hey, dummy, that's all wrong. Just find the good deal and the money will find you. Only if you've got a bunch of people already primed and ready to go first, then. So let's focus on getting those people, those investors primed and ready to go. Ideally, have the investors lined up first and then go looking for the deal. So that's that's what my mindset was. Then I applied all of that previous knowledge about uh, marketing came up with what I call my money partner formula. Worked really well for me. Not that I'm a super active real estate investor these days, Tyler, but you know, for those single family home deals, raised about a million bucks for that. And then started getting into some multifamily stuff and raised several millions of dollars for that. Uh, but my real passion is about doing this and helping other people with this stuff. So I'm, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm a marketing consultant at heart. I love helping people do this stuff. So We've been very, very fortunate over the years to help hundreds of clients cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals following this process too. Well, that failure has led to now many successes. And I think yeah. that's what we always have to leverage failure into future success. And I love that you've been giving that to so many other people, but let's take a look behind the curtain. Let's talk about marketing and let's talk about the difference between attracting and chasing, because you know, what you just described was you were chasing and then to no avail. I mean, there was, as you mentioned, egg on your face at the end of that entire experience. So let's look behind the curtain. I mean, obviously there's so many different things that think people think of when they think of marketing today. They think of social media, they think of website, they think of SEO, they think of personal branding, they think of perhaps edutainment, uh, you know, building a relationship with people through a podcast or through a YouTube channel or through a blog, webinars. You know, the other things that I think about when I think of marketing myself are things like referrals. Um, and, and that may be more of kind of a personal sort of prospecting sort of approach. Concepts such as like avatars, understanding, well, who is it that I'm speaking to? Who is it that I'm looking to uh, generate value for and offer value to? Leveraging individuals or, or systems like VAs or other systems to help you kind of get that message out there. So these are all like the different components like scattered out there. But when you think of marketing, when it comes to real estate investors in particular, when it comes to attracting opportunities, attracting deals, attracting capital, attracting partners, how do you think about it? How do you make sense of this entire process? Well, it really depends on where your listener or viewer is coming from, right? So the, the people we can help the most are what I call the new capital raisers, people who are just getting started. You know, they've self-financed their first few deals. They've run out of cash, run out of credit. Now they need to bring on joint venture partners or investors. And they're just getting started. They don't have a track record of working with other people's money yet, right? So where do you get started? Now, my blundering around and, and messing things up was, you know, 2020 hindsight, really dumb, but really good experience because I did do a few things right. I implemented incorrectly. So the idea of coming up with a target group of potential investors, people who already know you and like you and trust you is a massive shortcut. So for most people getting started with raising capital, their first investors, joint venture partners are going to be friends, family members, coworkers, business associates, people that they have that pre-existing relationship with. What I always recommend is 
Let's start there. Let's shake the tree. And what we find is typically most people have access to somewhere between $1.5 and $3 million worth of capital from within their existing network before they need to step out of that. Again, if you're talking about big time syndicators, it's going to be a completely different conversation. But we really focus on the mom and pops who are just getting started. Does that make sense? It does. And one thing that I'll also add to that is that I think that people need to think about if you're going to be attracting capital to your opportunities, the people that you are priming, they need to be predisposed or at least inclined to invest in real estate. You can't be convincing them as well that real estate is the right move and here's why. Perhaps over time, you can educate and you can take time to build that trust and confidence in, in why sort of your approach makes a lot of sense. But do you agree to that? Yes and no. I think within your network of friends, family, coworkers, business associates, let's say you come up with a target group of 200 people. Well, for most folks, the amount of capital they want to raise for their next deal, they don't need 50 investors. They probably need one or two investors to come on board with $50,000, whatever it is for their next little deal to get to get things rolling, right? So within that target group of people, there will be a couple of people who are a lot closer, who perhaps do have a, a bit of a background with, with real estate investing already. However, a lot of what we focus on is educating people about the big benefits of real estate as an investment class versus stocks, bonds, mutual funds, crypto, pretty much everything else that they're looking at and failing at, we show them how real estate is a much better opportunity. We show them about the different profit centers in a real estate deal. I know you're a big multifamily investor. So eight different profit centers that I'm aware of in a multifamily deal, right? Depending, you know, you're doing flips or be less profit centers, but you focus on, you know, what's in it for them. And you focus on the fact that you're the expert, you're the guys, you're the boots on the ground. You're the one that's going to be doing all the work. They get to come along for the ride and share in the profits without having to get their hands dirty. So for me, it's about educating people and creating curiosity, getting them to say, hey, Tyler, I'm interested in that real estate thing you're doing tell me more. And then we do a presentation with them. That's where it is. So it's, it's creating that curiosity, the big benefits, you know, that you talked about edutaining communication. I'm a big fan of that a little bit of education, a little bit, hopefully of entertainment as well and always encouraging people to reach out for more info. And there's obviously now there's the decision between all of the different marketing channels, right? You've got email marketing, you've got social media, you've got standalone, just sort of digital marketing, general digital marketing. Of course, you've got video content, you've got audio content, you've got all of these different sort of channels that you can take to spread that message and to build those relationships. And, you know, some people may feel a little bit overwhelmed by that. But, you know, what suggestions do you have for folks who are saying, you know what, I, I do want to prime a community or I want to prime whether it's, you know, individuals who may want to passively invest in my deal, or maybe it's other partners who I may want to join venture with and join forces. And maybe it's I want to develop something. And, and, you know, there's so many different, obviously, approaches in the real estate investing business, you know, across the board. But what sort of channels do you suggest that people start with and kind of as they get more sophisticated sort of build towards? Yeah, I suggest that you start by playing to your strengths. So what do I mean by that? If you enjoy writing, then focus on that. And that could look like blog posts, that could look like electronic newsletters or e-zines, could look like physical newsletters. Those are super high impact these days because nobody does them. These different kinds of things that if you're comfortable doing that, then do that. If you'd rather stick a needle in your eye than, than write, that's I understand that too. That's fine. Then maybe video, right? 
you know, like you and I, Tyler, we're amazingly pleasant to look like, you know, really easy on the eyes and uh, we're smart and we're witty and we're modest. So people like watching. But, you know, if if you're comfortable doing that, then video can be a, a really, really effective thing to do as well. But pick one thing that say that you enjoy doing, but at least you don't mind doing and you can do it on a consistent basis and get that rolling first, whatever that looks like for you. Right. So that's that's what I always recommend when we're working with clients. We actually do a whole variety of different things we do, you know, for our clients, they're, they're, they're communicating with their list at least once a week. So first week of the month is electronic newsletter, then a blog post, then a video log, then another blog post. Then the next month, same idea, easing blog, video log, blog. So drip, drip, drip. Ideally, work up to where you're communicating with your list at least once a week. Start where you start. One of the most successful investors I know started off with a monthly and for the years, all she did was a monthly electronic newsletter, raised mega millions of dollars, built up a huge portfolio, just cashed out recently, all on the back of a monthly electronic newsletter. It is pretty interesting. The people who have the most success try to keep it pretty simple. And yes, you can stack on that success. You can add, you know, additional approaches over time. But I think it is pretty cool to kind of observe that pattern that we don't have to overcomplicate this. No, and, and there's always going to be a new thing. And, you know, should I be dancing on TikTok? And should I be? Probably not. You know, <laughs> you guys, you that guys, makes me you, feel better because <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> it didn't work well. Didn't work well for me, Tyler. Don't look it up. <laughs> but it, it's it's also we got to think about where where are the people we're trying to reach. So a lot of what we do, or we have our clients do as well, is focus on email marketing. So social media is the big thing. However, here's my opinion about social media. Social media can be super powerful. It can also be super dangerous. And there are so many people doing it wrong when it comes to raising capital because, again, cover my butt here. I'm not a security specialist. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a marketing guy and a real estate investor. I'm sharing my, my thoughts, my understanding of things. It can actually be illegal for you and I to pitch deals on social media because that's a public platform. So unless you're set up with certain structures or exemptions, 506Bs and 506Cs and all that good stuff that I'm sure you've talked about, then you have to be really, really careful with that. And you'd want to use social media as a way of educating people and starting that relationship. So if you're going to be using social media, for sure, you can feature the, the properties that you're working on. You can feature the deals that you're looking at. Just don't be talking about returns on investment. And don't be actively soliciting investors from that. Use it more as a, a platform for educating and showcasing yourself as somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, and ultimately build your team and be advised by your team that there are certain rules and laws that apply as you build this sort of approach and in, in you're building your community. So thank you for that reminder. Always CYA, right, as you uh, apply these strategies. So Dave, this is super helpful and I really appreciate this conversation. It's been really fun to dig into your background and your story. For folks who wanna learn more about your uh, money partner formula they just go to moneypartnerformula.com is that correct yeah that's my main website but what i'm really excited about these days tyler is i've just started a brand new podcast called the how to raise capital 101 show so wherever you're listening to tyler's wonderful podcast you can check that out if you're interested in learning uh, how to raise capital if you're just getting started with that you want to expand your portfolio using other people's money then you might want to check that out because the first nine episodes of the show are like a mini course 
on that entire money partner formula. So you can find that anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Good stuff, Dave. We'll put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find your podcast as where as money partner formula. So with all that said, Dave, I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. I mean, your your story is one that you've just never given up and you face challenges and you've persisted. You've continued to get the information and, you know, apply that intel and go out there and continue continue to iterate and move forward. So I just appreciate that. And I've enjoyed our conversation. But if we were to look at a few things, I would love to know if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Yeah, one of the one book I really love is called The Ultimate Sales Machine by the late great Chet Holmes, The Ultimate Sales Machine. That is a an amazing book. So I highly, highly, highly recommend that. And then another one that's a little bit newer is called Who Not How. And I'm sure you've heard of that one and lots of people have talked about that, but that's uh, one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan, wrote that with Hardy. And just, and the title kind of says it all, it's it's not a matter of always trying to figure stuff out on your own and being the Lone Ranger. If somebody already knows how to do what you're trying to do, instead of you learning it all from scratch, maybe just get them to do it for you. That's a great idea. So those are two books that pop to mind. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. Uh, Who Not How in particular. I mean, the amount of guests that have brought that book up on the show is, is pretty astounding. But one of the coolest things about that book is that the entire book was written by not Dan Sullivan. <laughs> it was written by Ben Hardy. And, you know, it, it's clearly exhibiting the Who Not How principle just by the, it's it's unbelievable. Here's the story behind the story. Who Not How is not even his idea. It's actually Dean Jackson's idea that he shared with, uh, with those guys and and they took it and ran with it, ran with it. They actually give him credit in the book as well. But I yeah. love that. I love that. Thank you for that. We'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find those books. And aside from what we've already talked about today, Dave, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Well, you know, I kind of go in fits and starts, Tyler. So I'd, I'd love to say I've got a practice that I've been doing for years and I meditate for three hours. And, you know, I, I don't. I am. I do tend to be an early riser and I change it from time to time, but I have kind of a, a process that I go through. So I like to do some exercise first thing in the morning. I like to do some reading first thing in the morning. I like to do some planning first thing in the morning. So I do all of these things. And it took me a long time, but I finally put together my first vision board, believe it or not. And I have that stuck up on my wall. So I get a face full of that every time I look in that general direction. And, and that's inspiring as well. Very cool. So what's most inspiring and exciting about your vision board? Anything? Anything in particular? Well, I've got stuff here about family and lifestyle and giving back and health and travel and investments and work. And uh, it just keeps it not that I'm where I want to be yet with any of those, but it definitely keeps it front and center. And I see a lot of things really starting to come together, for example, giving back. So, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of us kind of isolated. So I've I've joined my local Rotary group and become quite involved with that, really enjoying that, traveling a lot more than we were obviously before. Fact, heading out to Spain the day after tomorrow. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's coming together. Very cool, awesome stuff. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Dave? Well, the way I I do quite a few different things. So podcasting, I think, is huge. What you're doing is huge, Tyler. Right? This is elevates the name of your podcast. So there you go. So I I do my best to elevate people through through my podcasts. I do my best to do that through training with our Facebook group and and training that we offer for our folks. So I I do a lot of giving. 
And, you know, obviously a lot comes back in return with that, but that's how I try to elevate people. I love that. Well, Dave, you've always struck me as uh, a guy. I'll try not to strike you, but yeah, I, don't I get strike what you me, please. Uh, but you, you have always struck me as an individual who is genuinely here to offer value. And so I just appreciate that. I wanted to acknowledge you for that. And I just want to show you my appreciation for taking time to be on the podcast today. Is there any parting thoughts of words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? You know what? We're all nervous and scared about things. I still am to this day. And I am I think everybody is about something, but it really is a matter of facing those fears and taking action and really doing something. That That's what makes all the difference. And you might not succeed, but at least you won't be scared anymore and you'll learn something and you'll be on your way. So if you're feeling stuck, just do something that, that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable in the direction that you want to go. That is really good advice. Thank you. And and it's cool because you've exhibited that in your experience. I mean, I'm sure there's been so many different fears that you've faced and you continue to face and yeah. take massive action, take uncomfortable and imperfect action and be willing to fail. Thank you for that, man. That's awesome. Dave Dubo, thank you again for being on the podcast. Uh, tell the listeners where they can find you other than we talked about the podcast earlier. Is there anywhere else where the listeners can find you? You know what? Those are the best places. So moneypartnerformula.com or, you know, the the new podcast. Those two places are where you can get a hold of me easiest. Outstanding. Dave, until next time, my friend, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for being Thanks on the so show. Much, Take care. Talk to you soon. Elevate Nation. Dave Dubow bring in massive value today. I hope you enjoyed that story and understanding a bit of his backstory but also really weaving that sort of perspective into where you are in your journey today. Uh, there's a lot of value in Dave's perspective regarding direct response marketing, marketing in general. And I think there's a lot to be said about the way that he's evolved over the years. So what was it that you took away from this episode today? What are your top one, two or three takeaways or action steps that you got from this episode today? I want to encourage you to jot those down. And I also want to encourage you to share this with a friend and have a discussion about what you learned today. And how does that impact how you're moving forward in your own real estate investing business? Is it about attracting capital? Is it about attracting opportunities? Is it about attracting partners? Is it about attracting what is it that you are looking to attract? And what is it that you're committed to doing whatever it takes to create in your life? Uh, I just think that uh, Dave Dubow is obviously he's a real deal. He's a genuine guy and someone who's very approachable. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I want to encourage you to engage in repetition. The mother of all skill, re-listen to this episode. You're going to learn twice as much. Ultimately, the call now is to take massive action. So I want to implore you that knowledge is not power. It is only potential power. So it is an opportunity for you to take action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.